All right, welcome to another. I mean, are these all special editions? I feel like it the fact feels that we like get it. to do this is so special that they're all special editions. Unless it's just us, and then that's not very special. <laughs> yeah, I think our lives have become a special edition. Yes. Well, welcome to the Deconstructionist <laughs> Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson, and have been waiting for this episode forever. Oh my gosh. Actually, my wife has been waiting for this episode forever. So um, we have a really exciting guest on today, um, a guy that I think... It's easy to say that we both kind of really kind of looked up to in regards to how we wanted to kind of do this podcast and mm. kind of the groundbreaking work that he had done or has been doing, is doing. Inspirational in a lot of ways. Yeah. Science Mike. Um, and if Mike you don't know. McHarg. Yep. I didn't know how to pronounce that until yeah. I listened to like three or four other podcasts that he was on because he never uses his full name on a show. That's true. He's just Science, Science Mike. Mike. Or Scientific Michael, <laughs> yeah, that's right. if or you're his mother. Simi. <laughs> Simi, if you're his best friend. That's right. <laughs> but, sorry, sorry, Nomad. Had to steal that one. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> Scientific Michael. <laughs> is, that his, is that his Christian name? Yeah. Um, but he's just this brilliant guy who um, has asked Science Mike is this brilliant podcast that he does where he just answers questions at, you know, at the intersection of, of faith and science. Uh, just a brilliant science mind. And then he has this other really great podcast called The Liturgist with Michael Gunger uh, from the band uh, Gunger. And, um, you know, two very different podcasts, but uh, both are just incredible. So if you haven't listened to them, check them out. This dude um, is brilliant. We'll have those in the show notes. But, um, yeah, so he started out as um, kind of a like a Southern Baptist, very fundamentalist. Oh, my gosh. Uh, played in the worship band, um, taught Sunday school. And then somewhere along the lines, uh, along the way, he he lost his faith. There has not been a guest that we have had on the show that more adequately encapsulates what we're talking about in this podcast when we talk about the journey, yeah, deconstruction, reconstruction, and as you'll hear on this episode, how deconstruction isn't some it's not some luxury that you just choose. Right. A lot of times it chooses you, and we'll talk about that. You wake up one day and something is shaky. Mm -hmm. Something is fractured. Something's different, you know, and that could have been caused by a trauma, as you'll hear in, in Mike's life. And that could be caused just by some new maturity, some new insight, some new learning that some of you yeah. may have discovered. And it has started to quake the very foundation of your faith or your life or your worldview or whatever. Yeah. But, um, man, what an appropriate guest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy is uh, um, just, like I said, done amazing work on both those podcasts is, as well as uh, written for several um, several different places, relevant Don Miller storyline and Biologos. Um, you know, and he's also just completed his first book um, that he talks about is coming out in September. Yeah, that'll be dope. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It talks about his, his uh, kind of a storyline. He gets into it a little bit on this show, uh, but yeah. definitely goes in more in depth in the book. So check that out when that comes out. He's just such a helpful guy. Like he just wants to, if I could sum him up in a couple sentences, Mike McHarg just wants to keep it honest, keep it gracious. Yeah. Keep it humble and keep it helpful. Yeah. I mean, that's he, that's just what he is, and what a joy to get to talk to that guy. And like, yeah. if you when you listen, there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this podcast, and again, like several other guests, almost all of our guests, mm -hmm. 
and you don't agree with a lot of the ways he puts things, a lot of the ways he looks at things, either from a faith standpoint or a science standpoint. And we fully know that. Like, we know that. That's why he's on the show. Yeah. Just because he's on the show doesn't even mean that John and I agree with everything that he thinks or says. John and I are in different places in our deconstruction and reconstruction. You guys are all in different places in your in your faith life or in your uh, life of awareness or spirituality or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Listening, thinking, digesting and not just putting your gloves up, yeah, and getting ready to, you know, fight or defend is really what this podcast is all about. So go into this right. knowing that this is a guy with a really, really unique perspective, but I think you'll hear his heart come through, and I think that you will be warmed and yeah. inspired by it. And I think he's one of the few unique guests that, that we've had on so far that can kind of speak to both parties, right? So he, he started in this very kind of conservative um, upbringing and then found himself an atheist, and then kind a of closet atheist. Yeah, had to be very, very oh, secretive can you about it. Imagine how awful that would be in leadership, no less. Leader in the church, preaching sermons, leading worship. Yeah, in a big Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist church. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Then it finds himself on this journey where he 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 ends up in uh, re- reclaiming his faith, but it looks very different from where he started. And I think that's just such a cool story. And I think. Um, I think it's very poignant because um, all of us are on different journeys. We start our journeys at different times. We, our journeys look very different from one another, and and you know we find ourselves in very different places sometimes. And yeah. and that's what we're about is just embracing that and just you know serving as community for one another and yeah. embracing each other al- along the way. So should we roll tape? I think they need to hear this, man. It's so good. All right, here is Science Mike. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Mike, well, uh, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Thanks. It's really great to be here. Thank you so much. And would you like us to call you Science Mike? <laughs> oh, I don't have a preference. Um, you know, my friends call me Mike. Pete Holmes calls me Science. You know, whatever, uh, whatever's most comfortable for you. I loved on the the Nomad podcast when they were trying to come up with like a nickname and then like a proper name and they were calling you Scientific Michael and then Simi. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are a ton of fun, man. I, I love the Nomad folks. Yeah, yeah, they're great. We like them a lot too. Well, thanks for being on the show. We're we're thrilled to have you. This was kind of something that um, we 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 got to meet with you a lot sooner than we ever thought we would and we're just so happy that you accepted our invitation at the the request of our listeners and we're big fans john and i both listen to your shows of both the liturgists podcast and ask science mike yeah religiously those spaces are just wonderful i would say i would be putting it mildly uh to say that my wife is uh going out of her mind right now so she she listens she listens to ask science mike and liturgists uh pretty religiously uh you know, to put it mildly, so. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I really, you know, it's um, it's wild to hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I travel all the time because of the podcast, and I go speak places, and I meet people, 
and they always give me this strange look as I'm talking. And then they'll stop and they'll say, it's just so weird to see you talk and hear you at the same time. So they're like really used to my voice, but completely unfamiliar with my appearance. So, <laughs> Which is fortunate for me. I've got a face for radio, so it works really well. And we say that about each other all the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. So, man. Yeah. That's why we went into radio. Right. There's, there's no video podcast happening ever. Not a chance. <laughs> nope. Oh, man, that's awesome. So things are going well with you, and you, uh, you've you got stuff rocking with the liturgists, and Ask Science Mike is going really well, and you have a book coming out. Is that correct? It's called Finding God in the Waves. It comes out September 13th, and anyone who'd like to hear more about it, it's my story of losing my faith and becoming an atheist and then encountering God and trying to puzzle through that experience using cosmology and neuroscience. And there's information about that book and links to pre-order on findinggodinthewaves.com. Fantastic. We'll definitely put that in the show notes, and that actually brings us... To our first question, we uh, want to really just introduce as many people as possible to your story, your sort of way of seeing science and faith. It's um, it's very unique and it's very uh, comfortable and gracious and open. So if you wouldn't mind, I don't want you to give uh, the book away because we definitely want people to experience that. But um, could you kind of talk about how your handle is sort of, you, you say you're a conservative Christian turned atheist turned follower of Jesus. Could you kind of take us through that evolution, what that unfolding, kind of how that happened? Sure. I mean, uh, the full story is a really long story, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give people a taste. Basically, I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, so I wasn't just a Christian. I was <laughs> an evangelical, and I wasn't just an evangelical. I was a Baptist, right? The Bible is inerrant. God wrote it. He reached down from the heavens and grabbed the quill of these people in the desert and wrote his word down, right? Uh, so it's perfect without error, without contradiction. And I believed that hook, line, and sinker, even though I was a kid who was a science nerd. And I just sort of somehow made those things line up through force of will and trust in God for my whole life uh, until my dad had an affair and left my mom. Dad was a music minister at our Baptist church and my spiritual hero slash mentor. And um, his moral failing uh, sent me on a quest to figure out what God would have me do in the face of dad's marital issues. I thought I could fix them if I knew the word well enough. So I read the Bible four times in a year. Whoa. And uh, instead of helping, that uh, really turned me into an atheist. More than anything, reading the Bible is what ended my faith. Because I found a book that not only contradicted anthropological understandings of history and archaeological uh, records of how history unfolded, but also um, contradicted itself. And um, my faith fell apart. I became an atheist, uh, a really weird atheist, <laughs> because all my friends were Baptists, and my wife was Baptist, and my children were already good little Baptists. <laughs> and I was afraid of losing my uh, marriage and my social sphere. Sure. So I became like a, a secret atheist. 
And uh, I was an atheist on the internet and a humanist and a Baptist in person. So I kind of lived this double life. Oh, man. Uh, it was exhausting. Ugh. Completely exhausting, as you would imagine. You know, pretending to be something you're not is. And eventually the facade broke. Uh, my wife and I had some uncomfortable discussions. My mom and I had an even more uncomfortable discussion. And uh, I gave up on faith. I was actually working on... A, communication strategy and, a, and an exit strategy from the church world completely. Wow. And um, I got invited to go to NASA, which is a cool gig yeah. if you're a nerd. Oh, my, oh gosh. my. Yeah. 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 That's Jerusalem. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's the holy land of nerds. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's the place you can get to the, like, you can ascend into the heavens from NASA. Uh, wow. It really is Jerusalem. So, <laughs> so, you know, um, while I was at NASA, uh, I also got an opportunity to attend a conference with a guy named Rob Bell, who's a, a pastor and an author yeah. in the church. And I was hesitant to go because he is a Christian, but he's also very creative. And I wanted to learn his secrets of creativity to further my marketing career. I get that. Yeah, he's, and he really is brilliant and creative. Oh my gosh, and yeah. So I go to NASA, it's cool. I go to the Rob Bell conference, it's cool, until they start talking about science and atheism. At which point I get offended, stand up, kind of tell Rob off. What? And Rob responds with grace. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, uh, you know, he, he said things I disagreed with and politely <laughs> I stood up and with very pointed questions and comments pushed back against everything he had said, which he um, thanked me for. Wow. Um, so, so there's this, there's this thing, right? This guy Rob Bell, he's kind of controversial in the church, mm -hmm. which drives me nuts because he's as orthodox a Christian as exists in the world, and and he just wants people to know Jesus, not some ambiguous deity that maybe I'm more comfortable with. Rob actually invites people into the gospel, um, but he does so without being dogmatic or forceful. Or coercive so with me he just gave me the space to vent and then invited me to you know realizing I'm an atheist could I just contemplate ideas bigger than myself and be open to the fact that there are things I don't know wow. which is just one click closer to God Man. right um, and I wish you know I wish people who bemoan Rob would take a couple of hours instead and study his techniques because they may find their churches grow faster. But that's an aside. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we had Rob on the show, and, we, and we, we got the mixed reviews that we were expecting. But the cool part about the mixed reviews were people that didn't think that they would appreciate the things he had to say, listen, to because this is a very open podcast with different perspectives, and they heard him, and they were like, oh my gosh, I thought I didn't like that guy. He's incredible. Yeah. Rob is all about using language that makes people comfortable. Mm. But if you listen to Rob, he uses modern language to describe ancient theology. Yes. Everything he says, you know, he'll say the universe instead of God, but he's talking about God. He'll, right. Um, he talks about the gospel. I mean, the guy went on Oprah Winfrey's network and quoted the scriptures. I mean, he honestly, to goodness, put up, you know, slides of different 
chapters from the Bible. So cool, man. And uh, it's just not, anyway. It's that's so cool. the, we're getting way off topic. But my point <laughs> I don't, is I don't care. <laughs> his response to people who are doubting or deconstructing is a better response than the church typically has. It's just better. It's more effective. It's more um, affirming. And I dare say it's more Christ-like. Because when I read the Gospels, I see that Christ typically had his sharpest critique for the most religious. Yes. And, you know, in Mark, there's always writing about the crowd, these uneducated people that sort of followed along behind the disciples from city to city. Yeah. And... Christ just had so much compassion for those people. You never see him rebuke them. You never see him confront them. You just see him invite them along. So, wow, uh, I'm going to step off my soapbox <laughs> and uh, kind of get back to the get back to the story. So, Rob invites me to contemplate things above myself for a moment. I kind of feel the presence of God again, and then we do the Eucharist. And uh, despite a lot of cynicism. I participate. Wow. I have a really weird moment where I hear the voice of Jesus speak to me. What? Yeah, it sounds crazy. I mean, if you if people want the full details, it's in the book or I've, I've said it elsewhere online. But uh, the biggest thing I'd say about that moment for deconstructionists is even as it happened, I thought it was more likely that I was hallucinating than encountering <laughs> God. Right. I, I mean, honestly, that was my experience. I get it. No, I I get it. Still incredibly moving, but it did not make me suddenly ooh ooh rah rah Jesus. No. So a couple hours later, I was out on the beach trying to figure out what had happened to me, and I had a mystical experience. I had a moment where, um, I mean, they're st- they're scientifically studied and classified, and there's depending on which social scientist you talk to, between seven and nine characteristics of a mystical experience. My experience hits all seven or all nine, depending on whose list you're looking at. Wow. And I just had this moment where I felt like I was in the presence of God. And after that moment, I understood some of the things in the Bible a little bit better. I got how, you know, Paul could write about a blinding light on the road to Damascus or why somebody might write about a, a bush that burned but was not consumed. Yeah. Right. They were using this this imagery to describe an experience that they couldn't actually put into words. But the other thing about this experience is it changes your life. And so that moment on the beach changed my life. I knew there was something to this God talk. Dude. There was something to it. What I didn't know was what. Because the Bible still seemed contradictory and anachronistic the bible still still seemed you know brutal and primitive theology seemed to be like very fancy fan fiction designed in seminaries for people who couldn't hack it in philosophy or science wow um and i had to know who this god was so i started reading hardcore cosmology, quantum physics, and neuroscience texts to understand where we come from and how brains experience God. And through that process, I actually found my way back to a place where I could comfortably and unselfconsciously and without irony practice the Christian faith. It's through that practice 
that I discovered mysticism, mysticism being the idea that God can't be known, but God can be loved, and through that love, you can come to some form of knowing. Man. And ultimately, that's led me to where I am now, a science-affirming person who follows Jesus, but doesn't, you know, project expectations onto other people. What I do in my faith is follow after this man, this Christ that fascinates me, and I invite anyone who'd like to walk walk a couple steps with me, feel free. But uh, yeah. you know, if it's uninteresting to you, walk away. Yeah. Uh, if if you just want to talk and you're not even following the guy, that's good with me too. It's not my job to convince or control other people. It's my job to live a life of radical love. this happen? I'm really bad with dates. <laughs> um, I actually, uh, two days ago, three days ago, yesterday, sometime in that time period, I actually had to ask a friend what year it was. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I've got it written down. Hold on, hold on. It's May of 2012. Oh, May wow. Of 20, May of 2012. Oh, man. Okay, so it's like four years ago. And you, you land in this like new Jesus followership that looks completely different than your original Christianity. And now it's informed with all these new perspectives. And, you know, like Richard Rohr would say, there's a transcending and including that's happening there, but it looks different. Um, do you see yourself continuously sort of changing? Like, it, like if you look back even a year ago, um, how much has changed in that for you? Like, what is, what is that continuous? Oh, change? it changes every minute. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I actually, in a lot of ways, becoming much more orthodox in my theology, capital O orthodox. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean by that, capital O orthodox? As in uh, Greek, Eastern Rite orthodox, uh, Melkonite, um, Coptic, uh, beautiful, or Coptic, I think as I say yeah. it. The the the, the, the the Eastern Church, the yeah. the guys who consider the Catholics the weird upstart church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Yep, like the Cappadocian Fathers and some of those. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Thank you. So um, you, you talk about in a you know obviously today and and also in some of your previous interviews you talk about that moment on the beach and and. Um, when Jesus spoke to you and that sort of thing, um, was would you say that was kind of the first moment where you kind of took a step back and and felt like you know what maybe there are some there's some mystery in this and some ambiguity and and maybe that's okay. Um, but it's interesting because then you followed up by saying that that your first reaction was kind of dive headfirst into science. So is that something you still kind of re- leave room for? You know, kind of where where science kind of stops i guess and and where mystery begins if that makes sense yeah yeah um science is how i learn facts about physical reality Mm -hmm. so if i want to know a fact about physical reality i use science Mm. um any other tool humanity has is inferior to science for that purpose so philosophy is interesting. It can help us decide what to explore next using science. Sure. Mm-hmm. It help us create science as a discipline. 
Um, but ultimately, science rules the day at learning facts about physical reality. But what science doesn't do is give me any meaning or purpose among those facts. So when I lean into finding purpose, some people lean into secular philosophy and ethics, and I use those to inform uh, how I behave in the world. But when I'm actually looking for meaning and purpose, that's what my faith is for. And science reveals to me that there are limits to human knowledge, understanding, and measurement. I am not talking about God of the gaps. I'm saying that modern philosophy and science tells us that it is very unlikely that humans will ever have an absolutely accurate model of reality. Mm. Um, And that propels me to some degree of humility. I did not create the universe. I did not keep the universe happening. I did not create my own life. And my own life continues, although I have to eat, although I have to work. But ultimately, each breath I take, and when I do eat, the, the, the processes that turn that food into energy my body can use are gifts I did nothing to receive. Wow. And so my faith is a posture of gratitude for that experience that expresses into love. And although logically and scientifically and through cosmology, a God is revealed to me that is impersonal and distant a God that is truly mysterious, a God for whom being or consciousness or words like that uh, would be inappropriate, limiting, Mm. somewhat ridiculous. But when I approach that with gratitude, Mm. somehow I find a God that reaches back, a God that seems to know me, love me, and respond to me. Now, science tells me a lot of that, maybe all of that is happening in the lattices of my neurological makeup right uh, but i still lean into this great mystery that when i love god god loves me as well and sometimes it seems even as god loved me first and was simply waiting for me to respond that's a mystery that's non-scientific i can't prove that but it radically changes my life when i accept it with an open hand Man, I just like people to just sit and marinate on that for a second. That's some good juice right there, man. <laughs> That's some good, good juice. I love it. One of the things that um, I personally just uh, am fascinated by you and I love about your perspective is it, it's more implicit, but I'd love you to get explicit with me for a second here, is in out in the world, if you go into Barnes & Noble, if you start Googling stuff, it seems... More than seems. It's obvious that the popular opinion out in the world, and this has been evidenced by Gallup polls and Pew Research and all these types of things, that the community of faith and the community of science seem to be at these great odds with one another. And here I am talking to someone who is wired to be very, very scientific, but who has had lots of mystical experiences, considers himself a follower of Jesus, um, why are they not at odds with you? It's as if um, science is a hammer and faith is a shovel. And when I take my hammer into the yard with gardeners 
and begin to pound on the dirt. I seem confusing and strange. Uh, I might even upset people. I might be working very hard but messing up what they're trying to do with my best intentions. And if I walk inside with a bunch of carpenters that begin to try to strike nails with my yard shovel, the same thing will happen. Science and faith have different purposes. Mm. They have different tools. So this conflict arises when people read sacred texts and tell scientists how science works based on their theology. They walk into the yard with a hammer. Or when scientists, from an understanding of physical reality, attack the mystery and indeed the documented neurocognitive need human beings have to know and encounter God through faith while they walk into a house of carpenters with a shovel. It is a conflict of our own making. Mm. But if I could switch metaphors for a moment, they are lenses of different shapes, of different apertures. And when we try to use one to cancel the other out, we create conflict. When we uh, acknowledge that they serve different types of light at different wavelengths, we can use them together to create a compound image in the same way we could use visible light and radio waves to peer deeper into the cosmos when we use science to study objective fact and faith to learn about subjective meaning and the power of love to transform the world. Man. Our own lives become clearer, but it's because we let each thing do what it was meant to do, I believe strongly that faith belongs with the humanities, that faith is about art, is about poetry, is about love, an exploration of what it means to be the image of God in this world. Man. So science can tell us the composition of a rock or a child, and it's, it's quite awe-inspiring in its ability to do so, but science cannot explain what it's like to be in love or to watch a sunset and how that feels in the same way that reading the Bible or going to church can help us understand that for all of human history, we have looked up at the night sky and felt small and longed for a connection and longed for knowledge. And it is in faith I find solidarity and the energy in this vast universe to do actions that can improve the world because it doesn't matter how small I feel. I understand my work in my faith has an impact and is good. And Dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like Pete Holmes says, man, this is a free podcast. <laughs> that was like... Oh, you just gave people the whole the whole spiel. That was, dude.
That made me think of something. I'm reading a book by um, sociologist and historian right now, Karen Armstrong. Um, I think she's really. Oh yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. If you can help get her on the show, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know her at all? She's she's absolutely wonderful. Everybody should expose themselves to her perspective. And uh, toward the end of her book on the case for God, she said something that really stuck out to me when you were just talking. She said something to the effect of. Uh, in, a, in a time like this, when science is becoming less determinate, um, it's perhaps time to start to return to theologies that assert less and are, are certain about less and more open to silence and unknowing. Um, it, just, it just seems like that's kind of where you've gone in a lot of ways. Absolutely. My theology is about what I don't know, which is almost everything. Man. And the critique, like what what you just went through when you talked about the shovel and the hammer, uh, is this philosophical concept of telos, you know, the purpose of something, which I think is a huge encouragement to anyone that's listening to this right now, be it uh, somebody that has been using either their faith to try to understand the natural world in a way that has maybe become troublesome for them or troubles them for them, them and the relationships that they have with people that are around them. But then in the same way, um, people of science trying to understand that which cannot be understood through uh, assertions and observations and, you know, uh, scientific, you know, method, methodology. I, I think that your, your little, you know, speech there, whatever you want to call it, was a encouragement and a rebuke that the problem is we're not using these things for what they're supposed to be used for. And I just hope that our listeners heard that. And uh, I'm just, I'm feeling very, uh, both encouraged and rebuked and edified right now. (laughs) I really, it's just wonderful to hear that. That's why this podcast is uh, such a healthy place because you're like, oh, I'm repenting right now. Oh, it's great. (laughs) that's great thank you that's that's awesome um you know and and i'm a i'm an enneagram nine i'm a peacemaker (laughs) on uh, on myers brig i'm an enfj which is like a we love to coach and mentor so uh if you say the word uh uh you know um what would you say rebuke oh yeah 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 Yeah, then i just i just shrivel up and go oh no what have i done no it's always (laughs) i was just talking about this with an artist oh no i get i get your intent i'm just saying uh, my goal is always more towards the encouragement side i'll leave the rebuking to other people yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. oh man so like michael that's why we're a good podcast together michael's fun absolutely very much so yeah oh man i'm gonna marinate on that for like a week that was great so one one of the things you talked about i know um on other podcasts as well you know when you're talking about your your personal journey of you know what we, we refer to as deconstruction um i had to kind of laugh a little bit because you mentioned the story of how you kind of broke it to your wife and for me and i know there are others out there who probably identify with that moment i had a similar situation where i was kind of um confessing the fact that, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I believed anymore to my wife standing in our kitchen. I still remember to this day, she was just like, oh, no, like, this is not what I signed up for. And I remember kind of feeling uh, a similar sense from you um, kind of in your in your personal story. And uh, and I just I noticed how she mentioned that, you know, she was going to start pray for you, uh, start to pray for you. And, and you know, I think that the phrase was uh, you needed to get right <laughs> Uh, 
the similar situation with me, I didn't even actually know until months after that, that my wife actually was, was praying for me on a nightly basis to hopefully, and you know, I think as your wife put it, get it right, you know. So uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, how, you know, would you have handled that differently, you know, uh, knowing what you know now and, and kind of where is she at in, re in regards to your journey, you know, in present day? I would not have done anything differently. Interesting. If I could go back. Okay. Wow. Um, I need to, to marinate through things myself to figure out where I was exactly. Mm. Um, now, on the other side, I, you know, if our relationship is like it is now, well, I just tell her whatever I'm thinking whenever because our marriage and our faith journey is no longer based on a shared set of propositional beliefs. Mm, interesting. Wow. Um, that was the foundation of our marriage before. It was a good Baptist marriage. It was nothing wrong with it. It made us good parents. It uh, made us good employees, good husband and wife. But today our marriage is very much about sharing and delighting in the experience of life together. Mm. Oh, that's great. Um, so it's, you know, it's much easier for us. It, it ended up being strengthening to our marriage, that experience, that trauma of coming to terms through that experience, because now we can talk about anything, anytime. We can have conflict. We can disagree. It has been a gift to our marriage. In fact, I found a study recently that said that uh, couples that, disagree and have conflict but don't necessarily resolve that conflict are the most likely to stay together over a lifetime oh wow so it's not conflict resolution skills it's conflict tolerance skills yeah. that create a stable happy marriage um and so where is she now well it depends on the day um, so, you know, my wife has always been much more concerned with orthopraxy than orthodoxy. Yeah. To her, her faith came alive in a pew, in a service, in a volunteer opportunity, uh, and sharing with the poor. And it was me who was so concerned about what we believe, what we believe, what we believe. Now she was too, but as a means of social identity, sure. it, she'd been told it was important. So some days I think she struggles with the idea of a God who listens to prayer at all. In other days, she prays unselfconsciously. Um, and I obviously have no need to uh, see her land in any particular place, but simply love her and support her as she takes her own journey. That's Man. great. What, uh, what advice would you give to some people out there that, you know, anytime you're going through uh, a period, you know, where you are starting to feel a pull out of your tribe, your stream, your main sort of social identity. You know, so you're, let's say you're raised secular or you're raised, you know, fundamentalist or, you know, very staunchly uh, religious. And you're starting to feel yourself, um, yeah, go through some, sort of like the process that you described or like the process that John and I have been through and are going through. Uh, what are some of the things that after going through that, uh, you wish maybe you could have told yourself or you wish somebody would have told you to help you do that in a, a less painful way and in a less isolated way. Be gracious, first of all. Mm. When you grow, 
You see the world with new eyes. Mm. It's like standing on top of a mountain. It's exhilarating because before you is a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, you see above the clouds and in the distance you see the town where you once lived to your right and to your left. You see lands yet unexplored and it's thrilling. But you have to be gracious. There's a temptation to look down with pity yeah. or disdain yeah. where you used That's, to be. Yeah. But guess what? A couple of days ago, you were down in that valley and someone else stood on the mountain. That's right, man. And although today that mountain looks to be the highest point and the valley before you to your left seems to be the most lucrative, it's just another step on the journey. Maintain always an awareness that you are just on a journey and so is everyone else. So at all times, do what you must do to kill or suppress a feeling of superiority over your fellow Dude, humanity. Dude, man, yes. Oh, I would clap, but I've been getting a lot of feedback from listeners saying I get too excited <laughs> on this podcast. But that was very well said. Thank you very much for that. So that's my first thing is to be gracious. The next thing I would say is to be honest. Mm. Don't be afraid to say what you think and you feel. Mm. If your friends can't handle you being honest about who you are, they're not your friends. Mm. That's good, man. Your friends will love you and accept you and walk with you as long as you are not actively, intentionally hurting or abusing other people. Mm. That caveat aside, your friends should be able to walk with you anywhere. If they can't, it's time to get new friends. Mm. So you're going to be gracious and you're going to be honest. Mm. And finally, and this is most important, don't try to control other people ever. It is not your job to lead people where you are. It is not your job to change their behaviors. It is not your job to control how people think about you. The greatest happiness, the greatest gift I have received in these last few years is I no longer have any desire to control the actions or beliefs of other people, including the way that people act toward me or things people believe about me now this has a caveat if you see people using their position or power to hurt or abuse others intentionally or not then you have a moral obligation to render aid to the one who is hurt or marginalized but you should do that remembering the first two directives to be gracious and to be honest Man, absolutely. And when you when you pull those things together, uh, you find a way of walking through life that is lighter, that doesn't leave as deep footprints on the trail, on the path, uh, and ultimately produces less suffering for yourself and for other people. Dude, that is good stuff. Do you have any? Do you have any not good answers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm waiting to. I'm going to listen to this in ten years. <laughs> And think half of it is garbage. So I love it. Kind of like love the first, that. first album you record, and be like, "Oh no, this is so good. This yeah. is so not good." Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man.
a lot of people, um, I think similar to you and your process, you had, you had mentioned that there was a traumatic emotional event that led you into this, what we would call, um, it's a ridiculous term, but we've committed to it, this deconstruction. Um, a traumatic event le led you into that. A lot of people um, find themselves in that process, you know, through an event or maybe, um, you know, they learn something that intrigues them that then conflicts with their worldview. And if you have this, like, as Greg Boyd would say, if you have this house of cards model of faith, this structure of faith, and, you know, evangelical Christians are famous for systematic theology, okay? So a lot of people look at their faith as a structure. And if one thing gets wobbly and starts to get shaky, um, you know a lot about the brain far more than anybody I've ever met, you know, what starts to happen and what, sh what should they do? What, that, that, that sensation that they're experiencing, uh, what is that? And what, should, what do you think that they should start to do about that when that thing starts to get wobbly and they, they find themselves, you know, either by a trauma or by a, uh, a new learning, they find themselves getting kind of forced into this deconstructive process? Grieve. First of all, grieve. Acknowledge that you have lost something, that you are losing something, uh, that something you knew is dead or dying, and that requires grief. You can't be healthy if you don't take time to grieve loss and hurt in your life. And then as you grieve, be grateful, get excited, mm. because from this death, from this change, new growth is going to happen. Now, our brains crave certainty. In fact, we have a dedicated piece of neurological hardware called the orbitofrontal cortex who tries to predict the future all the time. We guess how our actions could affect our physical safety and our social standing within our tribe because if we guess right about the rains or people's opinions, we'll be successful, we'll eat, we'll stay in social connection and be secure from predators and be able to find prey. That's how our brains developed. Oddly enough, today, in a time where we are safer than we have ever been physically, this anxiety, this need, this addiction to certainty has become something that prevents us from achieving joy, happiness, and dare I say, our own potential. And so what I've learned to do is be certain that I am uncertain, to revel in the fuzziness of my understanding of the world, and to look with great anticipation toward the next moment I'll figure out that I'm wrong about something. Man. And that lets you get on this trajectory where you just become more and more and more open, where if instead of clinging to your worldview like someone hanging off a cliff, yeah. holding onto a rope. Yeah. Uh, instead, my hand is open, and insights and knowledge and feelings come in light on my hand like butterflies, beautiful, fragile, and temporary. And I simply enjoy each and every one for as long as it stays and as long as it is useful. So, Man. 
One thing that Ab and I both really enjoyed, um, some work that you did, um, are, is your work on the axioms. And so we were wondering if you could just kind of walk us through uh, the axioms that, that, that you wrote. Yeah, just tell us about that a little bit. That's something that's got, become very popularly associated with you. And uh, when I read them, I was just like, holy crap. That's... <laughs> well, that, that was an attempt to sate my need for certainty. Um, so, you know, I had this, this, this experience with God that I can't explain. And every time I pray, I feel stupid. I feel <laughs> self-conscious. I feel like I'm wasting my time because what is God anyway? Right. Does, God doesn't even exist. Well, who is Jesus? What is the Bible? This stuff is ridiculous. <laughs> and this cynicism just was an acid that kept my faith from growing. Wow. It was like right. I'd had this little shoot of green growth from a tree that had burned down. And then I kept pouring acid on it. <laughs> it, just, it just didn't work. So I needed some way to protect that growth to see if there was anything there. And my axioms were a way to satisfy my prefrontal cortex, my analytical mind, that religious faith and practice was not a waste of time and were in some way grounded in reality. Hmm. Now, I'll be honest. I don't use those axioms at all anymore. Wow. Interesting. They were a scaffold that let me rebuild my faith. And once my faith was settled on a bit of a foundation again, I haven't needed them in a couple of years. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Now, maybe maybe I've made some gross miscalculation somewhere the blueprints <laughs> are wrong and my faith will fall down again. And if that happens, I will just as happily grab those axioms again. But what I have found, the reason I shared them the first time I shared them, in fact, was when Michael Gunger told me he didn't believe in God anymore. Mm. I'd never shared them with a person ever, and I recited them out loud, and he found them comforting. And in those days, I was still using them regularly to justify my own religious faith. I guess I've just internalized them. But if you're in a, a position where you have such serious existential doubt about the value of faith, who or what God is, the value of prayer, ideas like sin or salvation, the afterlife, or even the person of Jesus. Those axioms are designed to be science-based, scientifically justifiable explanations for Christian faith and practice. Can we post those in the show notes? Is that all right? Yeah, that'd be fine, uh, especially if you, I've got a link a, a blog post about them. Yes, link to that. That's what we'll do. There's some expanded discussion. Because I, I, th I thought they were absolutely interesting. We don't want to, you know, obviously it would take a lot to to get into all of them, but I just wanted you to kind of give that commentary. So, um, thank you very much about that. Let's talk some science, man. You want to talk some science? Always. Yes. <laughs> I think what? we'd be remiss without having Science Mike on and not not talking about a little science. I know, but it's like he's just so interesting about all of these, <laughs> you know, faith intersecting in the spirituality. But like, man, you're Science Mike, so. What is completely blowing your mind right now? <laughs> Just take a breath. I've been on a big M-theory kick for about three months. Okay. Yeah, we... uh, M-theory, so there's string theory, which is short for supersymmetric string theory. And uh, there are five major camps of supersymmetric string theory. Um, all of which are trying to address the core issue in physics today where Einstein's theory of relativity does not mesh 
with the standard model of physics. Man. And there's an umbrella theory that incorporates the work and practice of all five disciplines of string theory called M-theory. Uh, that M means different things depending on who you talk to. Um, but it effectively asserts that the fundamental particles of reality aren't particles at all. They are one-dimensional vibrating strings and also something called brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, as in short for membranes, which are multidimensional structures. Um, so what fascinates me about string theory, where I've been going lately, is I've been digging deep trying to understand what these extra dimensions of space-time look like, how they function, what that means for reality. And so I've been contemplating and studying the math behind these, you know, multidimensional, seven-dimensional um, Planck-length structures, geometric structures that create the extra dimensions of space-time and potentially resolve the conflict between relativity and the standard model of physics. Now, that was a completely inaccessible answer for <laughs> almost everyone. Oh, man. But you asked me what's been blowing my mind, and that's that's where I've been lately. You know, I, I tried, and you know, I got through most of it and probably understood about less than a tenth of it. But when I read Brian Greene's uh, Fabric of the Cosmos and Elegant Universe, it some of that, what you said, I remember from that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been di I've been diving deep in those and and the work of some other string theorists and and uh, you know it it works so well mathematically. It's so elegant, and when we blow things apart in particle accelerators, nothing shows up that supports it. The more we blow up in the Large Hadron Collider, the more the standard model of physics looks good, which can't be right because the standard model of physics doesn't have gravity. So, um, I've also been trying to learn about quantum loop gravity, which is, um, like even more confusing than string theory and less robust, frankly, as a framework, it doesn't have as uh, much established conventions for explaining as many things, which doesn't mean it's incorrect. It just means it's less complete today. Oh man. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I've been on a real, uh, bender <laughs> wanting to, uh, Wanting to understand a unified model, a unified theory that explains all of reality. Some people binge watch The Walking Dead and, and you know, get yeah. into M theory and <laughs> right. gravity loops or whatever that was. So well, and one thing that excites me, Brian Greene thinks perhaps uh, the solution ultimately is going to be a unification between quantum loop gravity and string theory. That those two things are each giving us a glimpse at ultimate reality of course then there's some other theorists who say no they're both uh still not fine-grained enough that what we actually see is something more akin to a quantum foam uh active at scales smaller than the Planck length um but wow. those are just elegant ideas without without mathematical support so it, so when you say that like what a layperson like me thinks is like is this just really well modeled mathematic wishful thinking then like when you do when so then you do the experiments and nothing happens and everybody goes today string it. theory is a hypothesis yeah it's not a it's not an accepted theory um and today it has absolutely no zero experimental support to validate it damn <sighs> so i love it <laughs> well and the other the other topic that i love that you went into um you know, on your podcast was uh, the theory of the the multiverse. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. 
I could not wait to get home and listen to that episode just because I think and, <laughs> the theories. Yeah, of yeah, the, the multiple multiverse. theories. Yeah, I almost wrecked my car listening yeah. to that episode. <laughs> I think anybody that watched Cosmos, at least the first episode, was like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! You can't just gloss over that. Please go back." Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good juice, man. All right, <laughs> I have since since we have Ask Science Mike on, um, I never thought that this would actually make it, you know, to the inbox. So I've got a question. Ask Science Mike. Is that all right? I'll do my best. <laughs> what the heck is consciousness? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's that's my biggest question. It haunts me. I think about it all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, no big deal. Just an unsolved philosophical quandary. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know it was a low blow, man, but I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah. Uh, my take is that consciousness is a model of reality that is aware of its own model. Okay. That's consciousness. Okay, can you... Like, excuse me, that's sentience. Okay, yes, um, we're sentient beings, yeah, so... We're sentient. So consciousness is just a model of reality that is updated based on a feedback loop. Okay. Um, so in my, in my opinion, um, a thermostat is conscious. A thermostat has a model of reality that incorporates the temperature and it can respond to that temperature by warming or cooling the air in response. It's a feedback loop. It's a very simple consciousness, but then a nest thermostat be a little bit more sophisticated conscious because it also knows the humidity. It also knows the temperature outside. Yeah. It knows its zip code. And then uh, the Nest servers that are aware of everything Nest thermostats know is an even more sophisticated consciousness. Still much less sophisticated than a plant. Where plants have, you know, many dozens of feedback loops that compose a model of reality. Plants know if the sun is up, where it is, what the soil pH is, how moist the soil is. They know if they're being eaten or their neighbor's being eaten. They can become more bitter or acidic based on a response to that. Um, so plants are, are quite sophisticated. Beetles are even more sophisticated. They have to move. They have to have an awareness of their physical surroundings and what might eat them, what they could eat, what they could mate with, etc. Then social animals have even more loops, right? They yes. have to not only know their environment, they have to know what the other members of their pack or tribe or troop think about them Man. they have to be able to guess that so they need much larger brains and enough feedback loops to build models of models and then you get to humans who not only model all that but also model space time so in all those levels some of those beings are also aware that they have a model of reality and that is a sentient consciousness in my opinion you just did, we didn't prepare you. We didn't even tell you we were going to ask that. That was amazing. <laughs> what the heck? Oh, man. You would be so when I tell people, they don't believe me. Like, I just did an Ask Science Mike Live that came out today. And a couple of people said, were those questions seated? And Seriously? Said, no, they were just questions. <laughs> and when, when people listen to Ask Science Mike, I really don't go Google the questions I write out kind of an outline of my answer and then fact check it and then record. It's only like one every one of every 30 or 40 questions I actually have to do research to answer. That is just because I read all the time. That is wow. flipping 
Awesome. Dang, man. <laughs> All right, so that was that was my sort of, you know, science-based question. The more faith-based question <laughs> from the scientist is bodily resurrection of Jesus. Just like your your thoughts. Uh, scientifically or just what I think? How about how about quick answer on both? Scientifically, it's absurd, insufficient evidence. Don't even talk to me about it until you bring me way more data than you have and don't tell me eyewitness accounts from 2000 years ago are you kidding me we have eyewitness accounts of some truly crazy things in human history but we don't believe them for example eyewitness accounts that on the spot where the dome of the rock stands today muhammad ascended into heaven do you accept those eyewitness accounts the scientific answer is no way jose <laughs> my answer yeah what's your answer totes i'm in wow oh interesting tell me a little bit about that just real quick it's mysticism i'm not making a fact claim about a bodily resurrection i am i am trusting in a love and through that love coming to a knowledge it sounds ridiculous because this is a spiritual thing anytime we use language we're running roughshod roughshod over the reality we're um, putting into words things which in the brain are not linguistic in structure or nature. But the fact is, I encounter resurrection and I encounter an empty tomb all the time in my own life. Mm. Resurrection is the very language of the cosmos. We ourselves wow. are the resurrected guts of stars. We represent a resurrection of the energy of the food we had for breakfast and for lunch. That which was dead is now alive. So does it seem crazy to me that God's signature on the cosmos could be a risen Christ? Oh, that seems to be the most logical signature I could think of. Wow. But further than that, I look toward an empty tomb. Mm. Uh, I had the pleasure last year to go up to a, a lodge in Vancouver, Canada, owned by a man named Bob Goff. Oh, I was dude. there on the invitation of my friend Don Miller, and I was terrified to attend because I'm a weirdo scientific mystic follower of Christ <laughs> who only recently has become comfortable with the word Christian at all, and most of the people there were very cool evangelicals <laughs> and i was afraid if i went i would be what a false prophet uh, or a heretic or just an unbeliever whose soul needed to be saved sure man. right right yeah. and frankly the character of bob goff was something i couldn't believe this guy seems unreal he's so cheerful he's wealthy and yet he's very very committed to social pursuits all the time. He, it just seemed like a, an overzealous PR campaign to me. And so I spent most of my time in the lodge cynically observing, just waiting for the facade to crack. And then we get on this, uh, this bus to leave the lodge, and Bob starts sobbing, like not just weeping, but sobbing. And he told us that for him, people coming up there was like Christmas, uh, which I was like, whatever, dude. 
you know, too cool for school, not buying that. And here this man is weeping. Man. And here this man has continued to keep up with me in my life. And then last week, I was in Israel, and I spent time with Palestinian Christians. In the eyes of Jewish people, they are Arabs. In the eyes of Arabs, who are mostly Muslims, they are Christians. They are not part of either major sides of this conversation. They're truly forgotten, truly marginalized. Mm-hmm. And yet I walked up to a farm called the Tent of Nations, and it had a stone outside. And on that stone, written in Arabic and Hebrew and English and French and German, was a phrase. We refuse to be enemies. So this person who's faced a potential land seizure, who's faced harassment by officials, who doesn't fit in with either uh, Israeli citizens or Palestinian refugees, commits his life to serving others and to inviting them into his home for a meal that he's prepared without running water or electricity. And I found both in this man, Daoud, and in Bob Goff, the same thing. An empty tomb. The radical life of love that people like that live. Frankly, the radical love that my black friends extend to me, a white person who represents hundreds of years of oppression, is an empty tomb. A love I can explain no other way. This moment changes everything. This moment changes everything. Wow. Man, FYI, side note, that, uh, first of all, that was amazing. I hope that everybody pauses the episode at this point and just lets that sink in because that was... That was a complex answer, and again, I just threw that at you. You had no idea that I was going to talk to you about resurrection, and that was like, I think I'm going to steal everything you just said and write my own book. (laughs) (laughs) Pass it off as my own original thoughts. I'm I'm giving you a heads up so so when it happens, you can just be like, that little shit. (laughs) But no, seriously. No way, man. No. that, that your last episode on the Liturgist podcast, um, I think I've tweeted it out like five or six times now. Hear me, anybody that's listening to this show, that is the single best podcast episode in the history of podcast episodes. <laughs> I'm not kidding, man. That was it, unreal. It, no, it was fire. Uh, yeah. You know, William, um, Propaganda, Michael, everybody, it was a great conversation and um, the download numbers have have truly, truly astounded us. I have made. Sure. Every, I've, I've refused to hang out with people anymore until they listen to that episode. <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Have you listened to it yet? No, then I'm not. Then we're not getting beers tonight. It's not <laughs> happening. Yeah. No, we 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 love you and the work you're doing, man. I think John's got a couple questions here, and then we want to be respectful of your time and wrap up. Yeah, I think uh, okay. the, the last question we have for you is, is just a question that we like to ask of all of our guests, um, merely because we do have such a broad uh, range of, of listeners from uh, what we would just kind of group as the kind of non-religious side to the more conservative, uh, fu- you know, maybe fundamentalist uh, view. 
And so if you could just speak, you know, especially from your, your background, kind of living both sides, um, if you could just speak to both, both sides uh, quickly. We are all after the same thing. We all want to live a life that is as joyful and as peaceful as can be. We all want to leave the world better than we found it. We all want to create a safe world for our children. We all want to be a good friend. I believe with considerable conviction that if a Christian passed by, saw a man lying on the side of the road and knew by looking at him that he was an atheist, he would still stop and render aid in the same way that if an atheist was walking by and she saw a man lying on the side of the road, she would stop and render aid even if she knew that person was a fundamentalist. Why? Because we recognize in each other something special, a spark of life, mm. an awareness, an ability to love and to bleed. Mm. And so I would say maybe, maybe this fight over these propositional ideas about the existence of God or not, the nature or God of not, is a distraction from our true potential that for atheists to be a good humanist is to invite everyone into the world of making the world better. And for a follower of God, the best use of the image of God is to live a life of unimaginable love and grace towards other and the outcome of both of those approaches is the same thing a better world so where we can agree let us work together we all think it is a tragedy when a child goes to bed hungry we all think it is a tragedy when someone sleeps on the street. We all think it's a tragedy when young children grow up in a home without a father because that father has been incarcerated. So let's work together on that. And on those things we cannot agree about, those issues of division like abortion or same-sex marriage or whatever creates a rift between traditional conservative Christians and humanists, Maybe we can acknowledge at least those shared goals, treat each other civilly and with dignity, and at the end of the day, understand that we truly are all the same. Man, that's great. That's good. That's good stuff, man. I think that's an appropriate place to end. Thank you. Science Mike, thank you, Mike, so much for giving us your time. We know that you are very busy traveling a lot and you're a family man, so uh, we're going to end the podcast now, but um, hopefully... Thanks for having me on. Tons of fun. You guys are great. Uh, I am totally going to go tickle both of my girls now, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before... Because I'm only on a couple more days, and then it's it's back on the road. You go do it, man. Right before you tickle your girls, uh, real quick, where can people go? Uh, What's the best place for people to go to, to... Get a hold of more of your work. If you go to AskScienceMike.com, there's a button that says Work. It talks about everything that I do. Um, and uh, 
literally, you can find my podcast there, my blog, links to social media, my email list, however you want to engage me. Uh, you know, I'm there. I'm a marketer. I've, I'm pretty good at that stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. And we hope, uh, would you come back in the future and talk to us again? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. You're so kind. Grace and peace to you both. Grace and peace to you too. was fun you're gonna have to handle this intro again (laughs) (laughs) so outro i can't even i can't talk we don't know where we're at um man science mike i mean he's not ready for that no i mean he just the way that he is able to really just answer questions from this very unique place that he's in where he's this science this brilliant science guy but is able to kind of embrace the the mystery people are going to think that we gave him all those questions in advance. We did not. We did not. We had very little communication and with, with Mike. The most impressive part, he though. He didn't need to. We were like, do you want us to prep you at all? Do you want you want any questions in advance? He's like, no, nah, I like to wing it. I'm off the cuff. I'm like, what? Well, and, and the, the, the biggest thing is that dude practically just got off a plane. He's been going nonstop. Hasn't slept for a tours, long time. Whatever. Yeah, that was sleepy science, Mike. Dude. I will take that. All day. All day long. That was a good look for him. Brilliant, yeah. Man. And the voice. I mean, the voice was was uh, true to form. Dude, man. I've got a little bit of voice envy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he, he does have a brilliant voice. So I uh, <laughs> I got to be honest. I was taking tons of notes during that, and yeah. there are some things that he said that were brilliant but provocative for me, and mm. I'm not even sure what I think. Yeah, uh, the question that you asked about resurrection. Dude, I yeah. what a great answer. What a um, inclusive, comprehensive, personal answer yep. that um, I can't wait to re-listen to this again and be like, man, what? Dang, I, I don't know about that. I, I got yeah. to listen to that again because like the resurrection is something that has always been critical to my faith. Yep. And there's there were moments that I, I thought I lost it, that I didn't think it was, you know, valid or, or mm-hmm. anything. And, you know, then yeah, through some learning and some things like that. I came to a new place of, of really holding on to the, you know, actual bodily resurrection, but his answer was unlike anything I've ever heard before. Yeah. And it it just makes me really excited because, um, you know, uh, if we, I think we mentioned this before, we are actively working on, um, a a series, probably a three-parter on Jesus and that, that, that talks, you know, we'll get into obviously the resurrection and stuff like that. And it just gets me really excited to, to get some, some, special guests on that we're already working on yeah already working on it yep um but we want to take our time with that one to make sure we line up the right folks um to talk about it but it just really gets me excited to talk about that topic and you know obviously all the others that go along with it but mm. but man so for those of you I out got, there I'm, I'm done i got nothing <laughs> i was just gonna say the my last thought is for those of you out there that i know are very uh science-minded um you know i i know a lot of my friends like love science and they love philosophy and 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 
for a long time have struggled with reconciling the two, you know, marrying the two together. I think this is a great example of a guy that has successfully been able to do that. Um, so I think that's going to be a fun episode for, for those of you out there who find yourself in that spot. So, so hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, as always check out our social media, um, find us on Facebook, deconstructionist podcast, uh, same thing on Instagram. We try to put, uh, post, uh, quotes of all, uh, all different, you know, from all different types of thinkers and uh, musicians and things of that nature, um, typically on, on a daily basis. Um, find us on Twitter on Deconstruct Cast. Uh, of course, our website, www.thedeconstructionists.com. Um, you can find all sorts of fun stuff there. Uh, we've got a friend who uh, does a really awesome job at summarizing all of our guest episodes. John Trent. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that I mean, such a great job. So check those out on there. Really cool. Um, and if you feel so inclined to donate and to help us out, um, this is not a full-time thing for us at this point. Uh, we do have full-time jobs and families. So a lot of the stuff is recorded later at night, you know, squeezed in between bedtime for the kids and, and our, our regular jobs. So, um, the donate button is uh, listed under on, the show click, notes. Click that donate button. Click it. Click that, <laughs> click that donate button. So any amount that that you feel driven to give if this if this podcast has helped you in any way or is as you know done something positive for you um you know please you know help us out you know donate any amount that you feel led to give um, i'll tweet out a picture of my wife holding up a thank you card yes smiling made out to you um but uh any amount that you donate helps us just helps us with all the costs um as we mentioned last podcast i had to buy a new computer and of course i had to get the one that you know made by that company with the fruit yeah those aren't cheap no, and uh, having to sell your two-year-old daughter's bedroom furniture to buy that computer is pretty heartbreaking yeah it's a little weird just seeing her laying on the hardwood <laughs> floor but <laughs> she's got enough stuffed animals it's okay but uh, <laughs> we're kidding of course but but i did have to buy a new computer we are a little obsessed with this project <laughs> yeah we love it but um you know all the books that we have to buy um the internet costs the domain names um the storage space that we need the, to host the, the podcast let's just be honest the beer is expensive we're drinking a 10 year old trappist ale right now rochefort trappist made by monks blessed, blessed by, by monks. god yeah and it's not cheap it's not <laughs> we wouldn't we would not disgrace our audience by drinking cheap beer while we're doing this no we wouldn't do that to you guys no in fact, we might start doing a recommended. Uh, That'd be foolish. Beer of the week. Yeah, if you want us to do recommended beers or beers we're drinking on the podcast, just tweet that out or put it on Instagram or whatever, and we yeah. will listen to you. We love you. This is a space that uh, we created for you, and it is your space. It's yeah. formed by you. It's informed by you. It's shaped by you. We are trying to implement any and all feedback from the most encouraging to the most unfair and vicious. We're taking it all. <laughs> And learning from all of it and thanking you for all of it. I, I really mean that. No matter what it is, we're, we're trying to implement it. Yep. And um, trying to get the audio quality where we want it to be and trying to get the uh, over-enthusiastic co-host. Um, <laughs> John's got a problem. I, we, all, I we, all, we all know he does. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to over-talk, right? <laughs> I, um, I'm seeking medical attention for my ADHD. <laughs> And uh, I will be snorting Ritalin <laughs> before every episode from we now do, on. We do not recommend that. But uh, I love all. doing this, and I love you guys, and I can't help how excited I am. But I am trying to curb it so it's not a distraction. Right. So um, if you want <laughs> less Adam Gasms, just donate money. Right. 
It will motivate me. Each dollar <laughs> pacifies Adam more and more <laughs> until eventually he'll just be laying in the fetal position in his chair. But <laughs> but one um, thing I forgot last I'm episode. I'm sure Joel Osteen has lots of money for his podcast. Oh, that's why he's so chill. <laughs> <laughs> he's so chill. But uh, I would like to give a shout out to uh, one individual who we connected via Instagram. And this dude is is working on some ridiculously awesome t-shirts for the podcast. Oh, man. Uh, we've already got a Limited couple. Limited editions. These are going to be awesome. Uh, this guy is sick. Joe Ernst um, on Instagram, you know who you are. He's working on some awesome shirts that will probably be uh, kind of almost in the can uh, by the time <laughs> this episode goes up, or yep. at least we'll have mm-hmm. some ideas. Um, so just a kind of a hint, a teaser. In the future, we're going to have some opportunities for people to to get some uh, really cool uh, Deconstructionist podcast uh, swag. We got swag. We got swag. We have a couple. For those of you that made it to the live event, uh, we already have a couple T-shirts that we think are really cool uh, that we're gonna have up on an online store eventually. So keep I want to tune to that. Can I make a recommendation for swag? Yeah. Can we get a a wearable like necklace pimp cup? <laughs> like, to, <laughs> like like to drink out of. Yes. <laughs> like that you know like a big gold chain and like have deconstructionists podcast like engraved in a gold cup. I would, I would like that. Your neck. I would like that so long as somebody designs a T-shirt with a silhouette of Richard Rohr on it that <sighs> says "Richard Rohr is my father." Adore the Rohr. Get the joke. It Adore. would be, aw- it'd be awesome. Father, Richard Rohr is my father. Thank you guys all so much. Um, this is such a blast for us, and you guys have made it all possible. And we're just trying to keep up. So be patient with us. Uh, be loving, uh, as Ellen would say. Be kind to one another. Indeed. And, and keep deconstructing. For now, we are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. Hope you enjoyed the episode today, everyone. Grace and peace. Easy. Easy. Pull out your heart to me.
your heart to me.